Genesis chapter 12, starting at the first verse. I'm going to read through to verse 4. And he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So God commanded Abram to leave his father's house, his kindred, and his country, and to go to a land that God had chosen for him, but would not reveal to him until later on in the faith journey with God. Wouldn't it be nice if God told us A, B, C, D, all the way through to Z before he called us to do something? Wouldn't that make it easier for us to go and fully invest because we have some level of expectation of what's coming next? But would it really be a faith walk at that point, right? What are we really Wanting to hold on to in that moment is some level of control, some level of, you know, it, oh, we can, we can game plan. Okay, God has, step B is that. So now that I know that, now I can build in contingencies. I can help God out. Famous last words, right? I can help God out. But God doesn't want us looking to the next step. He doesn't want us making contingency plans. He doesn't want us trying to think five, ten years down the road about what might be when, when we need to be living with God today in the present. What matters more than what God wants to do with me next year is what God wants to do with me today. What matters more than what God wants to do in my life Friday is what God wants to do with me in this moment. Amen. And oftentimes we're not present in the moment because our heads are in the clouds. We're not present in the moment because we're wanting to know what tomorrow's going to bring. And the presence of God is there. The presence of God is available. God is mighty to save and mighty to move, but we're not looking to God in the moment. We're looking down the road. And so God goes to Abram. And listen to this because this is important to us today. Because what God required of Abram is what God requires of us. You see, Abram and his family lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. You know what it's also known as? Babylon. And he and his family, they worshipped idols. The culture, they worshipped idols. So he has a family history. It's not the godliest of histories. He's got a, a, a history of idol worship. And you know what? God says, I've marked you. You've got to come out of that. I know you love your family. I know you grew up and you're familiar with that community. I know you love that area and, 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 and everything, but for what I've got planned for your life, you're going to have to separate yourself from what's going on there because the one true God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and that plan and purpose can't be intermingled with idolatry. And it also tells you, and it should encourage you in this, it tells you that it doesn't matter where you started in life. God can reach you, speak to you, and call you out of it to something great. It doesn't matter how jacked up your family, family tree is. When God marks you and calls you, 
what he wants you to do is say, hey, don't spend the time, waste time on regret and, and self-condemnation about the stuff you have grown up in. Because even in all of that mess, I saw you. And I'm calling you out because I've got a plan for you. Amen? And so he calls them, leave your father's house. Leave your kinfolk. Leave your country. And head in a direction, there's a place I have for you. And I'm not going to reveal it to you yet. When you get there, uh, when the time comes, I'll let you know. Those are the words we don't want to hear from God. We want all the answers. But Abraham is considered the father of faith for a reason. Amen? And truth be told, I wasn't going to say this. Truth be told, I don't know that he was fully in obedience. I think there was some partial disobedience involved there because he does leave. God said, leave your father's house, separate from that. But he brings his father with him. Leave your kinfolk. But he brings his nephew Lot with him and Lot's wife. And you know, his dad wasn't called to go to that land. His dad died in Haran. Lot didn't have that call that God put on Abram. Lot was a thorn in Abram's side. The source of frustration, he was annoying and, 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 and inconvenient uh, to Abram. It just was something he had to overcome, but maybe it was something he did that kind of helped him get his mind around leaving and going with God. But, but, I, but I could not just totally dismiss that that wasn't 100% full obedience to God because you're bringing the very thing that he told you to separate from. Isn't that human nature? You want to hold on to some things from the past. We know it ain't exactly God's will, but on a technicality, we convince ourselves that it's okay. But it encourages this man of God because it tells me that Abram still had some growing to do in his faith. When he left, everything wasn't perfectly executed. It wasn't 100% obedience. He brought the nephew and the dad with him, but he still went. And God was able to perfect him and help him grow in his faith along the journey. See, we don't have to be a fully completed vessel in order for us to give God our yes. We don't have to have it all figured out in order for us to honor what God says and obey. And even if we are not perfected in our trust of him, if we're not perfected in our, how we're walking things out by God's grace and God's might and God's power, he will, he will direct our footsteps. Remember, we're walking a faith walk of obedience, but there's also a sanctification process going on at the same time. And God is doing that work, doing that work in us, and he'll be faithful to complete it. But God called him out, told him to go to a land he had chosen for him, but wouldn't reveal to him until later on. God also gave Abram a promise of blessing that would be bestowed upon Abram and others as a result of him obediently embracing this faith journey. Promise. Say that word with me. Promise. God gave him a promise. And Abram obeyed God and embraced the faith journey God sent him on. How was he able? Think about this. Everybody he knows and loves, a community he is intimately familiar with, he knows the inner workings of it, he, he, he knows everything about the culture and society and uh, 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 the, uh, the topography and all of that stuff, and God wants to take him from the familiar into the completely and totally unfamiliar, the unknown. 
How was he able to operate with such faith in that moment? Side note, Abram heard this from God. I didn't want to be him when he had to tell Mrs. Abram what God said because she had family there too. And you're going to tell your, your beloved? Yeah, God says it's, we got to go. Leave everybody. Okay, where does God want us to go? He hasn't told me that yet. But we got to go. Let's pack up. You know, that might lead to an intense moment of fellowship. But Abram and Sarai, uh, his wife, because I want to give her credit too, left in obedience to the command of the Lord. And it begged the question, how were they able to take that leap of faith? How were they able to operate in such faith in that moment? You see, and what I've, the bottom line that I've reached on this is that Abram knew that it was God who spoke to him. So when God said, go to a land that I will show you, Abram left in faith expecting the land to be there. And what does that say? To me, so that tells me in his mind, God's word is true. So if God says there's a land out there he has for me, that land is out there. And God's going to get me there. Amen? So God's word is true. And he left expecting God to keep his promise. So God's word is true and God keeps his promise. Another word for keeping promise we can use is faithful. He's faithful. God's word is true. If God said it, then so it is. And I don't have to worry about the questions that are yet to be answered because I have a promise from the Lord. What he says is true and he keeps his promise. That was enough for Abram and Sarai to begin that faith journey with the Lord. Go with me to Romans 4, starting at verse 13. I'll read about eight verses or so. For the promise, you know, God changed Abram's name to Abraham. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is no, and the promise is void. So this isn't about how well you can perform. This is a, by grace through faith. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, I want you to highlight this. In hope, he believed against hope. The way I interpret that is against all natural reason, everything indicating that there wasn't much hope, he still had hope. In hope, 
he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. Say it again, that word promise. So shall your offspring be. He did not, this is so good. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. Abram was an old man when God called him. He and Sarai were elderly. She was barren. Yet God called him out from among his country, out from among his people, told him he had a land for him and that he was going to make him the father of many nations who is already elderly in their past childbearing age. You talk about a whole bunch of reasons in the natural to have doubt. To not be willing to take the step of faith that God is calling you to because it makes no sense whatsoever. And yet Abram and Sarai Wow, I guess I need to stop hitting on the table. I think, uh, is it Siri? It was waiting for a command. And I don't know how that happened. But here we go. I love this. There were reasons for him to doubt. There were reasons for him to shrink back and not, if he chose to do it, not believe in the promise of God, not believe that the word of God is true because the circumstances told him a different story. Here's what he, and this is what it's going to take for us if we're going to walk in faith. Circumstances, we need to not allow the circumstances to preach lies to us. We need to settle in our hearts that what God says is true and he keeps his promise regardless of what the circumstances are. And it says here, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's room. He considered those things. He considered them. Okay. Obviously, this scripture is talking about 25 or so years later than, than uh, Genesis 12, but it's a continuation of that story, the progression of which gets him to that point. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's room, womb. Verse 20, something else you need to highlight. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Hallelujah. That's a decision of his will. He said, you know, it's like I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. He said the promise of God is yes and amen. If God said it, if I know it was God that said it, then I am not going to waver in unbelief. No unbelief made him waver. He didn't allow it. He said, I'm not entertaining it. I am not embracing it. God's promise is sure. And despite everything that might be trying to tell me a different story, I know what's true. And somehow, some way, I don't understand how he's going to do it. God will keep his promise to me. Pastor Dale sings a little, a little hymn, a little, a little ditty that I, that I love. He said, he will keep his promise to me. All the way with me he will go. He has never broken any promise spoken. He will keep his promise. I know. And so my challenge to the body of Christ is to have that same resolve. God will keep his promise. I know. It's not that there aren't things in the natural to consider. I'll consider those things. I'll give them to God. I will, whatever anxiety they cause me, I'm going to lay it at his feet. Whatever 
uh, instead of me allowing myself to be overcome and overwhelmed by, by, by fear and doubt and unbelief and anxiety, I'm going to take it to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Because the word of God promised me that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And what I'm doing is trying to bring some calm to the storm in my soul. Because the external factors have caused, has, have gotten my attention and has caused me to some degree to waver. So I've got to, I've got to wage war in here. I've got to pull down those thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of Christ. So this is where I'm going to wage my battle. The, un, the unrest unsettled in my heart. God wants me to be at peace in my heart. So I'm going to take this stuff that's got me unsettled, take it to the Lord so that the Lord can help, so the Lord can say, peace be still and quiet the storm in me because I am resolved to settle in what I know to be true that God's word is true and he keeps his promise. It doesn't mean we won't struggle at times, but that's where the battle should be. Lord, help me settle here. Help me resolve the inner conflict so that I'm not double-minded. Grant me the grace to be resolved like Abram did when he did not allow unbelief to cause him to waver concerning the promise of God. Remind, help me remind myself of your promise. Amen? I preached something similar to this, I don't know, maybe a couple of months back, and the uh, emphasis was more on expectation. Because expectation has a major effect on the way we see life. It affects how we handle situations and, and even how we respond to God. Think about your walk with God. Just for a minute, just reflect on your walk with God, where you started. Think about your salvation experience. I'm going to give you a moment. Think back to that moment you placed your faith in Christ Jesus and your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Just think about circumstances, how, thing, how you got to that moment. And now think about your walk with the Lord since that day. Just fast forward to today. In Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. You think your coming to the Lord wasn't part of a plan? The plan of God for your life? You didn't know it at the time, but God was wooing you. God was working on you. The goodness of God was leading you to that moment because he had a plan for you. And since you have given your life, whatever that day was, however long back it was, God's plan for you has been in effect. I don't know how much of it you are aware of. Maybe you still think, you're still wondering if God has a plan for you. God's word is true. Jeremiah 29 is not just for them in that time. It's for all of us as children of promise. He has a plan for you. 
But he doesn't want us chasing after the plan. He just wants us chasing after him. He has no problem revealing the plan to you. And who knows? Abram was in his 70s when God revealed the plan to him. And that plan required a a major life change for him and his family. But the call of God, the plan of God came to fruition very late in Abram's life. Abram's promised child was born to him at 100 years old. God is not slack concerning his promises. It feels like it because we are people who want what we want and we want it right now. I forget that guy's commercials who talked about people who's had accidents and everything and his little phrase, it's my money and I want it now. But that's how we are with the things of God. We want what we want and we want it now. But God's timing is perfect. God will reveal to us what needs to be revealed to us in his own time. And and we need to do what the scripture says, wait on the Lord. And to me, that word serves as like a double entendre. We wait on the Lord in that we're waiting, you know, like you wait in line at a fast food place. But we're also waiting on the Lord in, uh, in the sense of serving him. We're not passively waiting on the Lord. We're pressing into him. Trusting that not only does he have a plan, my future is in the palm of his hands. It rests with him. I know he has a plan for my life. I know his promise is true, and he will reveal it in his own time. And whenever he does, my job is to say, yes, Lord, in that moment, whenever it happens. If it happens in my 20s, praise God. In my 30s, praise God. If it doesn't happen to 60 or 70 or 80, praise God. I'm not going to second-guess God and ask, why, oh, why, oh, why, God, haven't you told me what I wanted to know by now? Because that would be to miss him where I'm at. So, God, I'm just going to be planted where, you're, where I'm at, and I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to wait on you because your word says, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. God, isn't God worth waiting for? I've never known anyone to regret waiting on the Lord. And he may not come exactly when you want him to, but when he comes, when he does arrive, when it is time, it's it's amazing. It's heavenly. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's, It's hallelujah time. It's over and above what we could have ever asked or expected. Amen? God's plan, God's way is the best way, but But if we're going to be people of faith, and we've been called to walk by faith and not by sight, we've been called to the same faith that Abraham displayed, that God imputed uh, uh, imputed unto him righteousness because of his faith. And that was a precursor that salvation would come through faith, not by observing the law. I just wanted to to highlight those things that I wanted you to highlight. In hope, he believed against hope. Forget the circumstances. God's promise is what mattered. He hoped against hope because of what he had been told. So shall your offspring be. Hope against hope. Don't be looking for something to hold on to to give you some reason to hope. You have reason to hope. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body or the fact that his wife's 
a wife was barren. He did not allow unbelief to cause him to waver concerning the promise of God. That's where you, that's where you camp. So if you're not familiar with the promises of God, then hey, there is a Bible study topic for you to engage in. What has God promised? You know, how, how familiar am I with the promises of God that God has made available to us in and through Christ? Because those I need to hold on to. And when life gets rough, when the, storm, when the storm cloud hangs low and it begins to storm, when the waters get rough, I need an anchor. And I need to anchor in, when I'm anchoring in Jesus, I'm anchoring in the promises that are secure in him. What do I have in Christ? What do I have through him? What is this thing that, I, that, I can, uh, that can keep me on level ground and keep me grounded and rooted despite these strong winds that are, uh, that are going through in my life? Strong wind, strong current, whichever one of those. Choppy water. What are those things that I know to be true? These promises that are yes and amen. That no matter what's going on around me, what's going on in my life, I can bring myself back to those and anchor myself in those things and settle myself and still be strong in faith. Not because of who I am, but because who God is. Amen? And I want to talk, I don't, I don't uh, think there are any non-Christians uh, in here, but I want to talk to, if you are here, maybe you're here for the first time today. If you're here and don't know the Lord, I want you to know God's plan for you includes you coming to faith in Christ. You, you saying yes to the salvation and the redemption of the Lord. Whether you're here or whether you're watching this, I want you to know that. So if you're not a Christian, then the plan of God for you today is to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. This promise is not just for the chosen few. This promise through Abraham is not just for the children of Israel. Galatians 3 verses 8 and 9 say this, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, if you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. The same faith that was intended to justify them justifies us in Christ. Amen? So, foreseeing, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. See, the gospel goes all the way to the Old Testament. Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Say, all. all. In Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith, this is so important, y'all. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So it should be no wonder that the devil attacks us in ways designed to hinder our faith, to shake us up, to get our minds off the promises and onto the issues. And if we look long enough at the issues of our life, if we look long enough at the problems and the challenges, you can't help but have anxiety and fear and doubt and unbelief welling up because our focus is on those things designed to produce that. What we got to do is resist that and get back into the Word of God and, 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 and make sure that we are strong on the promises and know what God's Word says, what is true, and what isn't true. You know, problems come and go, but the word endures. 
The rain eventually stops and the sun comes out. The storms come and the waves, the, the, the waves are choppy and fierce, but eventually it stops and they're calm. The bottom line is circumstances change. So we don't, we don't need to overreact to those temporal moments as if we don't know the eternal, the eternal truth that lives on and on and on and on and on. God's truth exists in good and good weather and bad weather, trying times and blessed times. We need to remind ourselves not to devolve. But y'all who, anyone within the sound of my voice who does not know the Lord, it doesn't matter, again, how jacked up your family is, how jacked up your past, your history is. We just read in Galatians 3, verse 8 and 9, that the promise is yours by faith in Jesus. Jesus paid your sin debt. Jesus went to the cross for you. John 3, verses 16 and 17 say this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God's plan is for you to be saved through Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus because his heart was not to condemn the world. Regardless of how some of us sound from within Christ's own body, God loves the world. He loves the people in the world. And he wants all of them saved. Tragically, not all of them will come to faith in Christ Jesus. And there will be eternal judgment for those who reject him. But the heart of God still remains. He's for us, not against us. If you don't know him, I'm, I'm compelled to let you know what he's done for you because he wants you to know him. He wants you to come to know him through faith in Christ Jesus that you might be saved from the wrath to come. And if you don't know the Lord, it's very simple. God made it easy. All you got to do is humble yourself. And confess you humble yourself. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe that God's word is true, that you are a sinner in need of salvation. And that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and the only one through whom that salvation can come. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. I know those of us who already have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, those of us who already have given our hearts to the Lord, we didn't have to say that again. But for the benefit of those who have yet to taste and see that the Lord is good, it must be shared how can they believe if they do not hear? 
in no uncertain terms, God loves you. He gave his only begotten son for you. And if you would humble yourself and come to faith in Christ Jesus, who died on the cross for you and rose again from the dead, then you shall be saved. That is God's plan for you, the unsaved, to come to him. Receive his salvation through Jesus Christ. And I pray if anyone here has not made that decision, I trust that the Holy Spirit is, is, is on you and is doing the work and that uh, I would have the privilege to hear you make that profession of faith and to even lead you in the profession of that faith that you might be joined in the family of God among the beloved. Hallelujah. That, that would cause heaven to rejoice and really please the heart of God. Amen. Hallelujah. So when it comes, and I'll get back to that at the end, but when it comes to God having a plan for you, do you really believe that he does? You don't have to answer out loud, but consider it somewhat rhetorical. I want you to reflect. Do you really believe God has a plan for your life? follow-up question do you believe do, do you expect do you really expect God to execute that plan so we can cross that bridge to believing that God has a plan but do you believe that God is faithful and that God will execute that plan we say yes in the moment what about a week from now, a year from now, 10 years from now? Do we still believe that God will execute the plan that he has for us, whatever that plan may be? Do it. I don't know all the details to Abram's life prior to God calling him, but the fact that God called him and, and, and gave him such a, I'll tell you what, gave him such a hard assignment to make those decisions to break, and the fact that Abram, didn't, he didn't have to think on it too long, he just agreed to do it, it tells me that that wasn't his first encounter with God tells me that Abram and God got together on a regular basis and he knew his God. Even in a society that worshiped idols, he was able to develop a relationship with God so close that he's willing to leave everything behind and go with God. Cut all those ungodly ties and go with God. And that tells me he didn't waste those opportunities to get to know God. He didn't use the environment around him as an excuse not to press into God and, and, and to take full advantage of being in the presence of God. He knew God's voice. He honored God's voice. He had a relationship with him that he couldn't help but he couldn't help but obey God will because God and his relationship with God became the highest priority in his life why am I saying this because the same is necessary for us you know it's time you know the excuses can't be allowed like, why have I not heard God's plan for my life yet? Maybe it's, God, it's not God's timing. Maybe it's not yet time for him to reveal it. And he has a future date already set and marked that he's going to tell me. Or maybe I'm not spending time with him. 
Maybe I haven't separated myself enough from the the mess, the stuff, the idolatry, the stuff around me. Maybe I'm not invested in the relationship enough for me to hear the still small voice of God as he is speaking. Maybe he's speaking and I'm not hearing. And so I would challenge you to prioritize God in your life. And you know, there's 24 hours a day Right? What? Right? Okay, all right. So we all agree on that. 24 hours in a day, right? <laughs> 25, so there is, a, there is some dispute. It's been a long time since I've uh, referenced this, but, and maybe some of you have already heard it, I would encourage you to give God a tithe of every day of your time. Can we give God 2.4 hours of our day? Does that seem extreme? Does that seem like a lot? Because those are moments of opportunity to connect with God, moments of opportunity to draw in, to draw into the Lord and, uh, you know, your hearts can be knit together. And in those moments of opportunity, God speaks. So have you intentionally set up moments of opportunity for God to speak in your life each day? Yeah, pastor, it's easy for you to say. I mean, you're a pastor. You, this is what you do. You can come in here and get two hours in any time. I got a job. Heck, I got two jobs. I got four kids. Where am I going to get that time? I don't know. But I know that God, and I, I'm just putting it out there. A tithe is a tenth, two and a half hours a day. Uh, however, you can get it in. Get it in. And God's grace, he'll help you. He'll help you. Um, and, you know, maybe two and a half hours, 2.4 hours, whatever, maybe that's a little bit too, uh, too much for you. I would just say start. Start. If it's 15 minutes is all you got, start. Give it to God. 30 minutes. Just, 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 uh, just be intentional about setting up those moments of opportunity where it's just you and God. Where you're not even listing off all your problems and issues to God. You just, you just want to embrace him. You just want to connect with God. You want to worship him. You want to lose yourself in the presence of God and just... Uh, Give God every, you know, give God that opportunity to have that one-on-one -on -one time with you where he can speak a word of life and direct your life. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, those moments of opportunity, those are moments of opportunity to put the affairs of your life on hold, on pause, and press into God. And my hope and prayer for us all is that we would maximize our moments of opportunity to press into God. And uh, Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14 says this, and it really gets to that whole issue of expectation. What do I believe concerning God? Is his promises true? Is his word true? And, is, uh, and does he keep his promises? The psalmist in Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14 says this, I believe. It starts with those two words. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know, there is 
the goodness of the Lord even in the land of the living that's going on today. And there's a whole lot of jacked up stuff going on. I keep using that word jacked up. Lord have mercy. <laughs> I need a synonym, something that means the same thing just to change it up a little bit. But there's a lot of mess out there. But you know what? We, we can be too fo so focused on that that we miss the goodness of the Lord that's also present in the land of the living. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I don't want to be so focused on the mess that I'm missing his goodness because God is moving. God is working. Amen. The field is white for harvest and he's looking for laborers willing to work it. Amen. And so we've got, if we're going to be about the father's business, then we need to be focused on what the father wants us to be focused on. Amen. And we need to believe the, the right things. We need to have right believing. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do you believe that? And then he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. There are things that our hearts yearn for. Oh God, I wish that these things to see improvement in these things. I wish life to be breathed into these areas. And, and I wish these societal ills, you know, can, you know, can go away and be replaced with something that's more righteous and all these things. And he says, you know what? Wait on the Lord. It doesn't mean, wait doesn't mean do nothing. We still need to be faithful. We got a commission. God's called us to minister, to spread the gospel, uh, to, uh, to be light in the middle of the darkness. So we're not supposed to stay in these four walls. Our mission field is outside these walls. And the community that we complain about is the community that God has commissioned us to. And there are people walking in darkness that need to know the truth. And how can they know? Unless those of us who do know are being the lights that we're supposed to be and we're sharing the truth and the love of God. Amen? And that we are doing it with expectation. Yeah, there's a lot going on. But we're letting those walking in darkness who can't see the goodness of the Lord, we're letting them know about his goodness. We're not going to let a faulty perspective blind us to the goodness that's going on. No, we're going to see it. We're expecting to see it. We're believing we're going to see it. And when we see it, we'll identify. Amen? We're going to rejoice when we see it, and we're going to partner with it uh, where we can. But we're expecting it. We believe that we should see it. And we're going to wait on God. If, 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 what I'm, if where I'm at right now, I'm not seeing it, well, God, my expectation is that I will see it. And I'm going to stay in faith waiting on you to manifest your goodness in this area. How can I do that? Because your word is true. And you keep your promises. So in spite of what I'm seeing right now in front of me, I'm not deterred. I believe you will keep your promise. And I will see the goodness of God in this place. Amen? I mean, that's just, we just have to be that dogged and that determined to maintain our faith in the promises of God. Because they are truly yes and amen. You're hearing me? And I won't have you necessarily uh, uh, go there, but uh, Jesus knew what it was to wait on the Father. Y'all remember the story when Jesus came up missing and his parents was looking for him everywhere and he was missing. Three days they looked for him and they found him in the temple and his mom was like, how could you do this to us? We looked all over the place for you. And he said, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? He's like, well, you're looking for me everywhere. Why wasn't the temple the first place you looked? I mean, you know, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? But this is, he's 12. But then it said that he went with them and he was submissive to them from that day forward. And the Bible says that he grew. 
He grew in stature. He grew spiritually. He grew in favor with God. He grew favor with man. And that's all we know about Jesus from age 12 to the age 30 when he came to be baptized. 18 years. God's call on his life was declared prophetically when he was still in his mother's womb. After his birth, he knew the call on his life at age 12. And yet, he didn't start his ministry until age 30. 18 years. Now, he could have looked at that as, what's, what's taking so long, Father? I'm ready. Let's get this thing done. But he postured himself in humility before the Father and let God determine the timetable. He stayed faithful. And what did he focus on? See, I, wanna, I want to say this about waiting. You could tell he wasn't passively waiting because he was growing during that 18 years, not just in stature, but he was growing spiritually. He was growing with fa in favor with God and with favor in man. It, that just doesn't happen on its own, right? That means he's pressing in. That means those things that God wants to do in his life to mature him and prepare him for the call of God that's yet to come to pass, before he gets to that point, God is instilling in him everything that he needs instilled in him in order for him to thrive when the time comes. And he didn't worry. He didn't stress. He didn't fret. How long, Father? Do you have a plan for me? Did I miss it? What's going on? He just trusted. I know. I know the Father's plan for me. And he is the one that's driving the boat. He's the one driving the ship. And when he tells me to move, I'll move. When he says it's time to go get baptized, I'll go get baptized. Until I get new instructions, I'm going to fully invest myself in the here and now based on the instructions I've, I've already been given. And I'll park there. And I'll... I'll, I'll thrive here by the grace of God until God says move. And that really should be our attitude. We serve where God has planted us. We apply ourselves fully so that God can grow us and sanctify us and mature us and all that. And when the time comes, then we know that we've done all that we could. We've partnered with God for God to prepare us for the next phase that he has for us. We're not worried, so worried about tomorrow that we're missing any bit of what God wants to do in us. He increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And you, every one of us, there's no reason we can't do the same. So if you're in that time in between, between that age 12 and age 30 of Jesus where it, it appears or it feels like you're doing nothing. I love how Pastor Dale says, he's like, when he got baptized at age 30, God spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he said, and he hadn't done anything. Well, that's true, he hadn't done anything of note to the world. But he spent 18 years doing the things that mattered to God. Which is why he grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God, and in favor with man. And it tells us that we don't have to do great things. We don't have to part the Red Sea. We don't have to do things that are impressive and and amazing in the sight of man in order for God to be well pleased with us. We just have to say yes to God in whatever it is he's called us to say yes to him in. And if we're faithful, faithfully pressing into God and, 
and serving where God has planted us and endeavoring to obey him uh, in, the, uh, in this current time and day in which we live, then God is well pleased in us doing that because we're doing it in obedience to him and for his glory. Amen? Amen. So I hope this is an encouragement and a blessing to you. Um, And I just chose for a title today, Have Faith, You Are a Child of Promise. See, it helps knowing that we are children of promise can help strengthen our faith because the promise doesn't change like our circumstances do. The promise doesn't change like our moods and attitudes do. The promise doesn't change when our strength, with our strength. Sometimes we're strong and sometimes we're weak. The promise remains. The promise is yes. And amen. So God has a plan for each and every one of us. It's based on a promise. And he keeps his promise. Of that you can be sure. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to stand. So be. So do everything you can to learn from Abram. I highlighted some verses to let you know the qualities of Abram. that made him the man of God that he became. And using his example as a model for our own lives, I encourage that. Faith is not something that's going to be easy all the time. There's many challenges to faith, but in Abraham we see and we learn the kind of dogged determination that is required in order for us to keep a hold of, to keep our embrace strong on faith. Faith not in ourselves, faith not in favorable circumstances, but faith in the word of truth, God's word of truth, and faith that God's promises that he's made, he is faithful, he will keep his promise. So Father, we choose to believe your word is true. All of it is God-breathed. All of it is profitable for us, Lord that we might be trained in righteousness, that we might, by your, by your word and the work of your Holy Spirit, Father God, that we, we might be matured and conformed into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And be in fullness all that you have called us to be. That is our desire, God, and we ask you to We ask you for the grace. We ask you to give us the wisdom. We ask you to complete that work in us, oh God. We are yours. Do with us as you please. For we want to honor you and glorify you. Hallelujah. I said in the middle of the message that If you don't know Christ today, that his plan for you is that you come to faith in Christ today. And so if you are here today and you remember, you know, those scripture verses that I read touched you. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That God 
sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. You don't have to be holy and righteous in order to come to God. You can't be holy and righteous apart from God. But in Christ, in him, if you would receive the gift of salvation that he died on the cross to give you, rose again on the third day to give you, then you become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And instead of eternal wrath being your destiny, eternity with God is your destiny. Hallelujah. If that's you. This is your day. This is your moment. Do not waste this opportunity to receive the precious gift of salvation God has given through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us, Lord, uh, the word of truth. We humble ourselves, Father, and, and uh, my prayer is that we all are committed to being doers of the word, that we might bear much fruit unto you for your glory, and that we might be used by you to be the light in the midst of our societal darkness, carrying that beautiful message of the gospel where it needs to be heard. That people you love might hear it and their hearts melt and they cry out, what must I do to be saved? Lord, I'm believing to see your goodness in the land of the living. I'm believing to see salvations uh, happen, Father God, a revival happening, Father God, in your church, Father God, and that spilling over into the community. I'm, I'm believing, Father God, that, that you're going to be bringing hungry people that are desiring more, desiring a real experience with the Lord here to this church, Father God. You're going to... You're, you're, Father God, that you're going to bless us abundantly in that way. And so, so in, in advance, I thank you for it all, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Praise God.